0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at Sleep Number Stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Hello everyone. It is our final day filming here at the Atlantic Wall for a new history hit documentary on Hitler's Danish bunkers during the Second World War. It is freezing cold. We're almost done. It's about to snow. It's time to go home. But keep an eye out for that one on History Hit TV when it comes out in a few weeks. Yesterday, we had a Danish World War II expert, Rune Egberg. He is fantastic. What he doesn't know isn't worth knowing. And he took us through an amazing history of Denmark's role during the Second World War. It is not uncontroversial. There was the Danish resistance, which is the core of this story, this history and just how brave they were. But it turns out there was lots of local Danish collaboration, lots of local Danish informants. You wouldn't last long in the Danish resistance with locals telling on you. And even the government were complicit because the banks, well, the Danish banks, they paid for the Nazi fortifications here. They paid for Hitler's wall. This is an amazing history, a completely different perspective on what you'd expect Denmark to be and the Danish resistance to be. But enjoy and make sure you like, follow, share and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey Runa, thank you so much for joining us on the World Wars. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine and thank you for inviting me. Not a problem at all. It is a delight to sit here and have a beer, albeit socially distanced, in person with another historian and talk about the Second World War. For our listeners listening back home, we have been filming in the freezing cold beaches of Denmark today at the Atlantic Wall, Hitler's pet project to protect Europe from those fearsome allies. And he built, how many bunkers did he build in the end? Was it 15,000? 15,000. I think that was the aim at least. 15,000 bunkers in a wall that stretched from the north of Norway and the Arctic down to the French-Spanish border. That's correct. That's quite far. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's pretty far. Have your fingers recovered from frostbite outside? How are you feeling? Yeah, it was quite cold. It
2: was like being on the Eastern Front, I guess, today, but
1: we managed to survive. I wouldn't have wanted to be stationed in one of those bunkers. So do keep your eyes and ears open for that one coming to History Hit very, very soon. But we've got Runa on the pod to have a chat about the broader history of Denmark in the Second World War. Because it is absolutely fascinating. Now, Runa, when can we say that Denmark really entered the war? When did the Germans first, I don't know, what would you call it? Did they occupy Denmark?
2: Yeah, it's quite a unique story compared to other countries that were attacked by Germany. But Germany attacked or besieged Denmark on the 9th of April 1940. It was in the early hours of the morning, quarter past four in the morning, they crossed the Danish-German border in Jutland. And around the same time, they also dropped the lease in Copenhagen, explaining in Norwegian that now Denmark was occupied. And at the same time, they also had a troop ship going into Copenhagen and landed 800 troops in the middle of Copenhagen while the Danes were still sleeping.
1: Wow. All credit to the Germans there for some good tactical maneuvering there, but perhaps not so much culturally aware if you're dropping your leaflets in Norwegian. I'm sure that didn't go down too well knowing the Scandinavian rivalries.
2: Yeah, it was basically quite an absurd theater, you could say, but especially at the Danish-German border, there were fighting down there. You must imagine around 38,000 German troops on the German side and On the Danish side, there was in the southern part of Jutland only 2,500 soldiers, and they were mainly at army barracks at that point, so it was quite an uneven battle. The Danish troops had light cannons and light machine guns, and some were on bicycles, so it was, (laughs) sorry for laughing, but it was quite an uneven battle, and at the end, it wasn't really a battle, but uh, 11 Danish soldiers lost their lives close to the border after
1: fighting for around an hour. So they did actually try and resist the formidable German army.
2: Yeah, they actually managed to destroy a couple of uh, German panzer vehicles with one of their light guns. But in the end, they had to withdraw to one of the army barracks further north. There weren't any
1: reinforcements coming in, so they had to withdraw. And what happened to the Danish military then? Did they have to surrender? Were they enveloped into the German military? Or did they keep some level of autonomy in Denmark? Because it wasn't your normal occupation, was it?
2: You're quite correct, James. It's quite a unique occupation, actually, here, because the Danish government made a deal with the Germans that Denmark could keep its army, its navy, its air force and its institutions with an agreement that meant that Denmark would pay for all infrastructural projects in Denmark that German occupiers made. Wow.
1: That is quite the agreement to make, isn't it? So the Danish government, in return for keeping its legitimacy, an element of its own sovereign control, gave up a lot of Danish money then to build a lot of fortifications for the Nazis. And is this where the Atlantic Wall comes back around? So did the Danes actually pay for their own bit of the Atlantic Wall?
2: They actually did. They made an agreement with Nazi Germany that in the Danish National Bank in Copenhagen, there were two deposits there, one for the German army and one for the import of Danish goods to Germany. And it was kind of a carte blanche, you would say. They could just withdraw and then the Danes would cover the expenses. One of the reasons why was also to protect the Danish Jews in Denmark, which is also an, an unique story compared to other countries. But It was at a high price, both morally and financially.
1: We're actually recording this during the week of International Holocaust Remembrance Day. So what happened to the Jews in Denmark?
2: That's a really unique story in the way that the cooperation policy between Denmark and Germany lasted until 1943, where the Danish government resigned, and after that, the Danish Jews weren't protected. But up until 1943, for example, in Norway, all the Norwegian Jews were sent to Auschwitz. 95% was around that number. But in Denmark, we managed to save our Jews and send them to neutral Sweden. But at the same time, it was also in cooperation with the local German authorities who looked the other way while a lot of the Danish Jews
1: were saved to Sweden. Right. So because Denmark was so lucrative in terms of building defences, but also supplying money to Germany, the government could stay in control. And that way, it had a little bit of leverage to allow its Jewish population to escape. You say up until 1943. What happened in 1943? That was the big turning point, especially if you look out of
2: Denmark, the German war machine is stopped in the east, and the Danes can see that Also, America has entered the war in 1943, and especially Stalingrad, the Battle of Stalingrad also made a huge impact in Denmark. They could actually see the Germans losing ground. And that gave way to especially the Danish population who wanted to show the outside world that we didn't want to cooperate with the Germans. Especially the Danish resistance movement and also people in general started to strike and also sabotage a lot of factories working for the Germans. And Hitler and the Germans were quite upset about this because it was called the cream front at that point. We sent a lot of cream to Germany and we didn't give them a lot of hassle here. But that stopped in 1943 and the German authorities wanted the Danish government to step in and stop the strikes. And they also wanted the Danish government to allow death penalty for Danish saboteurs and resistance fighters. And at last the Danish government said no and resigned and stepped down. And the morning after that, the Danish fleet was sunk by the Danish Navy, so a lot of ships couldn't be used by the Germans.
1: So it was this point then that a very friendly occupation turned into a very sinister occupation. And so we started to see the benefits afforded to Denmark slide away as the Danish government resigns. It's military, which had been given its own independence. what well, it sinks its own fleet.
2: It did. They tried at the biggest naval station in Copenhagen to sink a majority of the fleet. It didn't succeed in sinking all the ships, but a large portion of the ships were sunk and some others escaped to neutral Sweden. The Danish army weren't that lucky and they were surrounded. And actually at some army barracks, it came to a shootout between Danes and Germans. I think it was around five Germans who were killed and 22 Danes
1: were killed in the riots at the army barracks. So what happened to the Danish military then? Were they interned into the German military or were they interned into prison camps? Some of them were interned
2: in the army barracks. Again, it's a complex story because... Denmark was quite divided at the time. We had a lot of volunteers going into the German army. And then again, we had a lot of volunteers going into the Allied fleet. And then again, you had the Danish resistance movement who got a lot of their arms from the Danish army who actually smuggled them out of the army barracks. But then that stopped again in 1943. And then the resistance movement were waiting to get arms from the UK or smuggling from Sweden,
1: for instance. So tell us a little bit more about the Danish resistance. We've heard about the Norwegians, we know about the French resistance, formidable forces, but I've not really heard too much about how the Danes resisted. In fact, I've kind of heard a little bit more of the opposite, a bit more about the collaboration and like you mentioned, this idea that Denmark was more of a cream front, supplying cream and milk and meat and pork to the German military and really was a breadbasket. Hitler's Third Reich. So tell us, tell us some good war stories from the Danish resistance.
2: Yeah, you can actually talk about three types of resistance groups in Denmark. You have the communist resistance groups in Copenhagen, and then you have a more national conservative resistance group. And then in Jutland, the mainland, we have a lot of local groups that were helping the British But to start with the communist resistance movement in Copenhagen, they were actually the first ones because when Denmark was occupied in 1940, a lot of their group members actually had experience in fighting because they were in the Spanish Civil War before the war outbreak. So they actually were used to using explosives and guns. And really, really important thing is also that when Denmark was occupied in 1941, when the Germans attacked the Soviet Union, They also wanted Denmark to participate, and especially in Denmark, they wanted the Danish government to have a law against any communist in Denmark, and that law was actually passed in the Danish parliament and signed by the Danish prime minister, and that meant that three of the Danish communists who was elected in the parliament were arrested, and the Danish authorities arrested the Danish communists. And one of the most interesting things is that the Danes actually arrested more communists than the Germans wanted to. And that set the bar, actually, for the Danish resistance movement, because they had an actual enemy in the German occupying forces. So
1: they started early in Copenhagen. And so you have the communists who form the foundations of the resistance. And then how does that start to get militarized? And what do they attack? Because there must have been a big fear here with such German control that you would have some pretty major reprisals from the Nazis.
2: There really was... And the communists were known for being the best saboteurs in Denmark. And again, because a lot of the resistance fighters had working class backgrounds, they had a natural contact to all factories in Copenhagen and Esbjerg, Odense and Aarhus. So they actually could get easier into the factories and sabotage them. But again, there were reprisals. Especially when you attack a factory, there was guards guarding that factory, and that was Danish Nazis. So you were actually in combat with your own countrymen there. So that was a problem. And especially when we get after 1943, the reprisal is, are you captured as a Danish resistance fighter? You basically have two options. One is to be sent to a German concentration camp or being executed different places in Denmark. If you're arrested in Copenhagen, there was a place a little north of Copenhagen where they shot the resistance fighters, and in Jutland there were different places. But that's after 43. Up until then, the Germans are more prone to keep it down in some way. But again, the Danish resistance movement also thought about other countries like Czechoslovakia and the murder of Heydrich in the Czech Republic. And the reprisals of killing Germans, for instance, were quite high. So they started killing Danes working for the
1: Germans instead because the Germans weren't that bothered compared to killing Germans. Right, so that was the clever tactic, to take on the Danish Nazis and to strike the Danish factories, which were helping the Nazis, but without actually striking the German military themselves. That makes sense, I suppose. Okay, Tristan, you've got 50 seconds. Go. Right, so Dan's given me a few seconds to sell the Ancients podcast. What is the Ancients, I hear you say. Well, it's like Dan's show, except just ancient history. We've got the groundbreaking new archaeological discoveries. This seems to be the oldest known dated depiction of the animal world, as far as we can tell, anywhere in the world. We've got the big names.
2: It's one of those great things, Pompeii. It's kind of forever rising from the dead and
1: from destruction. We've got the big topics. The man destroys seven legions in a day. No one in history has done that. Subscribe to The Ancients from History Hit wherever you get your podcast from. Oh, and Russell Crowe, if you're listening, we would love to have you on The Ancients. Spread the word, people. Spread the word.
0: Selling a little or a lot?
1: So these resistance fighters, they were doing one hell of a job by the sounds of it. Did the British get involved at all and support them? Because I know in other countries, there was definitely a linked up network with the special operations executive being tied into helping resistance movements. Was it the same here in Denmark?
2: Yeah, it was, but it was relatively small compared to, for instance, Norway. In Denmark, I think it was around 50 or 55 Danish agents working for the SOE who was dropped over Denmark. But the British helped Denmark immensely, especially the resistance groups in Jutland, which is the mainland north of Germany. And the British dropped both explosives and weapons to the resistance fighters. And that was immensely important because that was used as both railroad sabotages and also at factories, but also the handguns and the machine guns, especially the standgun, was a very important weapon to have. Especially after forty-three, where the Danish resistance couldn't get any weapons from the army anymore. And it was sparse to get weapons from Sweden also. So that was immensely important. And the SUE had agents, different places in Copenhagen, and also in the north of Jutland, which was quite important also, because there are more rural areas in Jutland, and that's perfect scenery for dropping weapons there more than in the city center. Yeah,
1: and nearer to the UK as well. Yeah. So, British air power really played a role in supporting the Danish resistance. Did it help in any other way?
2: Yeah, the British helped the Danish resistance movement on several occasions and several places in Denmark. In, in our second largest city, Aarhus, and also in our third largest city, Odense, on the island of Funen, they actually bombed the Gestapo headquarters. And late in the war, one of the most famous air raids from the British, the most famous in Denmark at least, happened on the 21st of March 1945. So a few months before the war ended in Copenhagen, here the RAF attacked the Shell House, which was the Gestapo's headquarters in Copenhagen. And it was quite a daring attempt to destroy the headquarters. And the reason why was that the headquarters also had the documents and the reports and the photo archives, of the Gestapo which was used to draw up the Danish resistance movement. So a very daring attack with 20 mosquito bombers and 30 Mustang fighters which attacked Copenhagen and attacked
1: the Shell House. Wow, so they weren't just bombing military targets, they were bombing the intelligence to try and save the resistance lives and so they could keep going, keep motoring to push on and force that German surrender which comes only a few months after. But before we go through to that point of surrender, tell us, are there any other resistance groups that we should know of?
2: I would say another important one in Copenhagen is called Holger Danske, which is named after a mythical figure who sits in a castle in Elsinore Hamlet's Castle,
1: north of Copenhagen. Yes, near to the border with Sweden. This is, yeah, Hamlet's Castle, where he slowly goes mad in there, really.
2: He really did. And
1: that figure,
2: the story behind it is, if Denmark is in trouble, he will wake up and slay the enemies. And that was the name Holger Danske after the resistance group there. And their aim was different than the communists. They had a common enemy, but their perspective were a more national conservative one. They were pro-British, and they also had a lot of contacts with the army in Denmark, with the police in Denmark, and with the Navy And in 1944, the Germans arrested the Danish police and sent them in concentration camps. And that was a big problem in Copenhagen, for instance, because then law and order weren't there anymore. And a lot of policemen went into this resistance group, and they operated mostly in Copenhagen. And their speciality was to assassinate Danes working for the Germans. They assassinated
1: 350 people. So law and order really turns on its head in Denmark during the Nazi occupation, that is incredible to think that they took the police force of a nation, the ones who uphold the law, and shoved them into concentration camps. And I assume those few that escaped were able to go away and join the resistance. And they must have been a very welcome sight to some beleaguered resistance fighters by this point. So with all this activity on the ground from the resistance and these British and Allied planes over the top, either supplying the resistance or bombing Gestapo headquarters to destroy intelligence. Did any of these planes crash? And if they did, were any of the personnel, any of these officers, any of these airmen able to get back out of Denmark?
2: Yeah, there was a lot of plane crashes all around Denmark in different areas. And we have to look at the timeline again. When we look at the cooperation between Denmark and Germany up until 1943, for instance, a lot of allied airmen, I'm afraid to say, were transferred to German authorities when they were shut down in Denmark because a lot of people locally thought that would be the right thing to do because the Danish government in the Danish media had said that Danish resistance fighters were terrorists and the allied were enemies. So that was quite a problem. But after 1943, for instance, a lot of local forces tried to help the Allied airmen. I have a story about a British airman who was shot down in northern Jutland, and he was saved by a family on a farm. And they put him on the attic of their main building. And an hour later, a German patrol came. And they asked if they have seen any British airmen, and they said no, and they went to the stables and shot all around the stables, also in the attic of the stable building, and then they left. And after that, the airmen came out, and they transferred him to Sweden afterwards. And 30 years later, he came back also and met the family. So that's a good story. We have also another story about an island called Rømø, which is close to the German border. There's a Danish family who actually saved three british airmen who sat there for over a year but again it was a divided country some airmen was actually transferred to the germans and others were saved we have also stories about british airmen going all the way from espier to copenhagen on a train and were saved at copenhagen central station one of the resistance fighters got a memo saying i have a big package for you And he was so happy because he thought, ah, it's from my cousin in Jutland. He's sending some pork. And when he arrived at the station, it was two British airmen he had to save. But he did that, and they took a tour in Copenhagen. And then afterwards, after the sightseeing, they got them to Sweden by help from the fishermen.
1: Hang on. They took the train from the coast near England, so from HBR, the west coast, all the way across Denmark to Copenhagen on the other side of Denmark, and then had the audacity to do a tour of Copenhagen.
2: Yeah, they were actually close to getting found out on the train, because British people are always such gentlemen. So there was a lady in the train who couldn't sit down, and one of the airmen offered her his seat, and she replied something in Danish that he couldn't understand. And there was almost a situation there, but they made it safely back home to Britain. But there was Numerous stories of this kind. But again, the problem was it happened quite late in the occupation, mostly after 1943. So that also tells you about a divided country.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But as the war goes on, and although it's under full, quite hostile German occupation, there is never a full Allied invasion to liberate Denmark, because it doesn't need to come to that, does it? No, And also, again, you have to
2: look to the greater context. Before the war, in around February 1940, the Danes got signals from the British that were Denmark attacked by the Germans, the British couldn't evacuate or help Denmark with any troops at that point, especially because Denmark has its location that it has compared to Norway or Sweden, where you have waters between Germany and those countries. So Denmark was quite alone at that point. They had tried to talk to Sweden about making a military alliance, but Sweden weren't able to get troops to Denmark either. So it was quite a lonely position to have here. So there weren't that much to bargain with
1: at that point. And so how does it come to an end then? When does the war end for Denmark? It ends in May 1945, where the
2: British forces are going north of Hamburg and coming into Jutland and also coming to the Danish islands of Funen and Sealand and helping Denmark establish itself as an independent country again. But again, when we talk about the liberation of Denmark, it's also a complex story, because we have a small island in the Baltic Sea called Bornholm, which was liberated by the Soviet Union in 1945. So that's a different story. So the whole of Denmark weren't free until 1946.
1: Yes, of course, Bornholm. We've had Professor Caroline Kennedy Pipe on this show to talk about Bornholm and it being Stalin's Danish mystery because he sat there for 11 months while the rest of Denmark was liberated and celebrating. Bornholm was kind of liberated from the Nazis and then kind of occupied by thousands of Red Army soldiers, both male and female Red Army soldiers. So that in itself is a fascinating but a very different story. Do check out that podcast. But just to be clear, then, for Denmark, there was a complete German army surrender. So there was no fighting, no hostile fighting in Denmark. There
2: really was. And again, the problem weren't so much the Germans more than a divided country. There was a lot of people getting killed in the last days of the occupation. Actually, it was one of the bloodiest periods during the war. A lot of Danes actually shot each other. You have the Danes who went with the Germans and the other ones who went with the British. For instance, in Copenhagen, one of the days more than 50 resistance fighters lost their lives in Copenhagen. You have Danish Nazi snipers lying on the rooftops, shooting at the resistance fighters, marching down the streets. So it was quite bloody in the last days of the occupation.
1: Wow, so although there wasn't fighting on the beaches or fighting on the borders between Allied and Nazi troops, there was this breakdown of society in Denmark. And again, as we talked about, there was no police at
2: that point either. And there was around 5,000 armed people in Sweden, Danes, who had fled the Nazis, who returned to Denmark like a primitive version of the Home Guard, who should have kept peace in Copenhagen. But when they arrived, the Danish Nazis also shot at them, so it was... Quite a scene to come to Copenhagen.
1: I've never heard of this. So when this unrest was taking place, did the Allies get involved? Or how long did it go on for? How did it come to an end? How did they stop the Danish Nazis?
2: It took some days. And the problem was also that the Germans didn't want to surrender to the Danish resistance movement. So they had to wait till the British arrived in Copenhagen. So that was also a problem. But the Danish Nazis finally surrendered, but some of them barricaded buildings and lay there as snipers and shot at pedestrians walking by. Also because when you look at scenes from Berlin, they maybe thought that they were going to get lynched if they surrendered to the public. So they would also want to surrender to the British instead of to the Danish resistance movement.
1: And it was Montgomery who took the surrender in Denmark, wasn't it? It was. And were these... Danish Nazis, once they were rounded up, were they sent off to prison camps? Yes, there's a prison camp not far from Esbjerg, close to the German
2: border, called Frøslevleien, which was built by the Danes to intern communist countrymen. And after the war, the same place was used for Danish Nazis. I think it was around 50,000 Danes were arrested on suspicion of being Nazis. So there was a lot of unrest in the streets and also around the country. You didn't actually get those people who committed most of the war crimes. Some fled to Germany and were never returned to Denmark, but some were also executed. One of the Danish Nazis who killed 52 Danes during the war was executed after the war, but some of the other war criminals, especially Danes in the German SS divisions, fled to Germany and was never put on trial after the war in Denmark.
1: Thanks so much, Runa, and if you want to learn more about this fascinating history, well then you can do one of three things, or you could even do all three. Number one, go and visit Runa in Copenhagen when everyone's got their vaccine. He runs Copentel Walking Tours, and there's a link to his website in our bio. Number two, you can buy his book, Know Your Dane, Unlocking the Secrets to the Danish Mentality. And number three, you can watch our latest new episode on History Hit TV about Denmark, Hitler, the Atlantic Wall, and the Second World War. If you enjoyed this episode, we're going to get Runa back on soon to talk about the social impact of the war on Denmark.